kick the jukebox, it's so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the jukebox, kicking a rhyme. Talking about music all the time. Oh yeah! Hello and welcome to another episode of Kick the Jukebox. I'm Louie Perlman. And I'm Kyle Gordon. And uh, here we are. This is our first remote version of Kick the Jukebox. And we're not going to dwell on it because y'all know why. Uh, Kyle <laughs> and I are staying much further than six feet apart from each other right now. Yeah, but we can but, see each other. We're, we're, uh, we're zooming away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, thanks for tuning in. And, and for you newer listeners, I'd love to just talk a little bit about what this podcast is, why we do it. Uh, this is a podcast about why we love music and why you should too. That's sort of the way I succinctly describe it to people. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, uh, and stop me uh, anywhere you disagree, but just structurally, each uh, episode we kind of deep dive into a particular album. Usually, one of the one you know we'll trade off. Like I'll pick an album, and then Louis will pick an album, and we'll each pick one song from the album that either spoke to us or interested us or our favorite song or a song that sort of encapsulated the vibe of the album. And then we'll each together discuss, um, you know, one song together. Usually it's the, the biggest song or the, you know, the, the keynote song from the album. Um, yeah. Well put. Yeah. (laughs) That was great. No, that's super well put before we get any further. Like and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or on Spotify or all the other places where you can find this podcast. And uh, also, just because of the times being that they are, Kyle, what's your Venmo? You, uh, yeah, my Venmo is. Um, let me pull up my Venmo. It's okay. Mine, yeah, it's mine is I, at at Louis four seven one one at yeah. Louis four seven one one. Easy. Mine is Kyle-Gordon-2, but I still have a job, so uh, Venmo other people before you Venmo me. For sure, but (laughs) if you like this podcast, you know, throwing us a few bucks just basically helps pay for, like, making the podcast. So Okay, I take it back. Pay me. Yeah, seriously. It's totally (laughs) cool. It's totally cool, I think, to ask for money when you're creating stuff in uh, this... uh, um, existential dystopia that we're currently living in. Uh, absolutely. So yeah, you know, and, and Kyle and I have really similar music tastes, which is why we started doing this podcast and like a great deal of respect for our music tastes. And but, I would say broadly, wouldn't you describe our taste broadly and our interest musically as 20th century music? How would you narrow that down? Very much so. I mean, we seem to really love shit that's like 20 years or older for sure. And definitely there's several artists. Particularly 60s, 70s, and 80s. Yeah, particularly 60s, 70s, and 80s. And there's several artists that we both really like that are more contemporary. But that's not really what this podcast is about. Because I think this podcast is about albums that have hit us on a really deep personal level. Mm-hmm. And on a level that might tie into sort of something base in us that has to do with sort of a warmth or a nostalgia Mm, or a certain, a certain point in time that we want to explore historically or Mm -hmm. uh, so, so so socially as well. Yeah. I think that's the big thing is that I, I think one of the reasons I like for me, it's music before I was born really Uh Uh, immediately before I was born. And then um, Kyle is seven, by the way, he's a seven year old boy. Yeah. So, um, 
So I just like love looking back on the era of, um, you know, uh, Hurricane Chris and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Gorilla Zoe. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> too niche, but um, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm an 80 year old man. Right, so. exactly. So, uh, you know, the next, next, next time we're going to do uh, Al Jolson. Oh my God, we are going to do Al Jolson next time. We might do Al Jolson at some point during this podcast. It wouldn't surprise me. But, but today we're talking about the uh, Sade album, Diamond Life. Yeah. Sorry, Sade. I said it yes. wrong the first time I said it. Sade album, Diamond Life, just yeah. from 1984. And this is one of Kyle's picks. Kyle, yep. why did you choose this album? So, um, the reason I picked this album is because I love Sade. And um, Shot, like, my appreciation for Sade came a lot later in life uh probably right after i graduated from college um cool and um we can how did you find sade well i mean smooth operator everyone knows and has heard of smooth operator that song and i remember and i think this is an uh, a really important distinction and i think might be different in the way that you maybe see and think about this album but from when how i think and see about see and think about this album Mm -hmm. is i remember listening to smooth operator you know my whole life and thinking it sounded so dated and corny and um everything about it i didn't understand how it was ever a hit you know i just couldn't you know this is like me you know, as a, um, you know, whatever, 13-year-old in the mid-2000s, it was, I was listening to, like, like, at the time, or what was popular was, like, a lot of hip-hop, like, the rock music was, like, a lot harder, more aggressive, Um, so that sound of, like, kind of the really clean production um and the like jazzier elements of it just seemed really really corny and then i think when i graduated from college i i think a lot of people sort of i think modern indie music is kind of um really taken a new found appreciation um for like a lot of like like jazzier 70s and 80s music like i feel like agree all like indie music now is like um reimagined steely dan yeah. or reimagined sade or mm-hmm. like the yacht rock and uh kind of like really pure pop clean sound um i wouldn't call sade pure pop but it's like uh like an appreciation for that kind of thing um yeah yeah that yeah. i kind of fell into that I I very much agree in that I think that this album represents a very clean sound and a very actually a very forward thinking sound. Yes, and I think that uh, what ended up happening with music, I would say, over the last ten years or so, is mm-hmm. that a lot of genres that maybe were written off by a lot of artists right. because they were looked at as niche genres mm-hmm. for reasons of like race or class yes i'm talking about 
you know, the quiet storm genre, which we're mm-hmm. definitely going to talk about because mm-hmm. th- it, this is a formative album for that entire like radio format that basically develops yep. around this time. Yep. Uh, and then also, you know, Kyle and I are big lovers of disco mm-hmm. and, you know, disco, there was such a line drawn in the sand in the seventies between disco and rock. Right. When there was actually more similarities than differences once all was said and done. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think that we're, we're seeing a real recontextualization of all that right now. And I think that it's good to look at the roots of that cross pollination. I think this is a good album to do that with. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a really good point. So this album came out UK 1984 US. It came out 1985. Um, it had about Sade's music had about five years. I mean, she, they're one of the unique groups kind of in this genre. And, uh, which I would call Sophistapop mm-hmm. is kind of like the easy um, kind of grouping together. And they're all like, she was, you know, in context, like in the same world, she was just one or they, it's because the band is called Chade. It's not just the lead singer Chade. Yeah. And that's something I think we should do for the rest of this podcast. Just for everybody listening is when we're talking about Chade, we're talking about the band. Right. And when we're talking about the singer, we'll call her Sade Adu, which is Correct. her name. That's easy. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but no, they, as a band and a group, um, they were they were part of this world, um, like the, the Style Council, like Paul Weller's second band, um, Everything But The Girl, um, uh, also uh, Prefab Sprout. These are all British groups, and it's a very specific British scene that was focused on it's kind of like their version of like mid eighties coffee house culture. And so it was a lot of like kind of uh, jazzier elements, um, kind of uh, modern clean production, synthy, but also like a lot of soul R and B like cool, kind of like soft, uh, sweet, mellow music. Yes. Um, very Brit, like uh, actually Branson Reese once called it like, um, you know, grown up British music. Uh, yes. And that they definitely fall into that. Um, but you know, what, what immediately preceded that it was like grunge and like, it was, you know, like hard, uh, like aggressive, um, in your face, kind of music became the cool thing right after this and it kind of uh you know it be like it became cool to be macho for a long time and then after that was like pop punk and you know uh so i think it took a while for people to appreciate this kind of music again agreed 100 percent. it was it, it, this music was sort of looked at as being somewhat emasculating yes and that was really really difficult for it Mm-hmm. And, you know, the entire genre of, you know, this quiet storm radio format mm-hmm. was eclipsed by a lot of uh, rap, you know, in the mm-hmm. later 80s, early 90s, mm-hmm. uh, and and definitely a lot of rock as well. And I, I want to talk a little bit about Quiet Storm, mm-hmm. and then we'll get into the context of how this album relates to Quiet Storm. Quiet Storm is a radio format that is based on uh, a smoky the name of a smoky robinson album mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> and great it, album. it basically it um encapsulates music that is 
mainly for an urban audience, mainly at the time for African Americans, Mm -hmm. that is very pop oriented, Mm -hmm. very sophisticated, as you said, Mm -hmm. and also incorporates a lot of jazz and R&B elements. Yeah. However, as opposed to R&B, the nature of the songs, the subject matter of the songs were were a lot lighter and mm-hmm. definitely a lot more escapist. Right. Uh, this genre of music isn't known to be particularly uh, socially relevant. Mm-hmm. And it grew, a lot of people say that it grew in popularity because of the growth of affluence of African-Americans in U.S. culture and society through the mm-hmm. 70s and 80s. The Cosby era. Yep, the Cosby era, which is really interesting. However, despite the fact that this was a genre and a radio format that was developed for African-Americans, it was widely adopted by many different races at the time. Yeah, And it became sure. a very popular genre of music. But that's that's where it started. And this album was very successful within that that genre of music. So story of the band, uh, Sade and sub- several of the other members of the band who at the time that this album was recorded, just to give them their proper shout outs, it's Paula Stenman, who was on bass, Andrew mm-hmm. Hale on keyboards, <laughs> Stuart Mathman, or sorry, Matthewman uh, on guitar and sax, Sade Adu, who was the vocalist and songwriter, and Paul Anthony Cook, who was the drummer. So uh, Sade was a half Nigerian, half British singer. She uh, was born in Nigeria, but mostly grew up in England, for those of you that don't know. Uh, She was a fashion student who had just graduated and was a young fashion designer, had been doing some modeling work, when she decided to try out for a band that was called Pride, which was a mainly sort of like a smooth, I, I described it as like a smooth jazz, like Latin band. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But... Within that group, uh, more and more, the people in that group were writing for her and would give her sort of these standout moments. Mm -hmm. And then she decided to form her own band that was much more like smooth jazz influenced and also like Great American Songbook, like I'd say like vocalist, sort of that whole like vocalist tradition inspired. Yeah, like she had like kind of a Billie Holiday-esque vibe in a lot of ways. Yeah, definitely a really earthy voice. Yeah, for it's, sure. It's understated too, I would yeah, say. Yeah, earthy and understated. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so uh, another really fun fact about about this band that I think is very cool is that from their first show together, uh, which was in 83, they had their first US show only five months later because they had really made a name for themselves in London, and one of the reasons why, one of the things that happened is the uh, very first show of theirs, because they already had a reputation for being in Pride, uh, they sold out their show, over a thousand people attended their show at the nightclub Heaven, which is a famous gay nightclub in in uh, London. Oh, I didn't so, know that. Yeah, so by the time they got to, uh, by the time they got to New York, they had this show at Danceteria, and it was only five months later. And then they were pretty quickly signed after that. But re- the record executives wanted to sign Sade on her own, Sade Adu. And she insisted that the rest of the band 
was signed as well. And they ended up being signed as contractors and allowed them to stay together because she really understood that this was a group, despite the fact that she was the front woman of the group. Yeah. And it's kind of incredible. Yeah. Like they, they all, um, pretty much every song, original song credits the band, uh, as Mm -hmm. like songwriters. Um, and I think it was a really, really collaborative, uh, process in terms of songwriting and they still, you know, famously they, they have taken long breaks between albums. Um, but it's the same, same lineup. Yeah, it's been the same lineup, yeah, for the entire time, other than, like, one person leaving right after the first album. Right. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah. You know? um, I think we should listen to the first song. Shall we? All right, let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, do you, this was your pick, Hang On To Your Love. Talk a little bit about it, and then we'll listen to it. Yeah, I would say this is kind of a standout track on the album um it's very i think it's very different uh it's a lot more up-tempo and funky than a lot of the other tracks which are a lot more mellow mellower smokier uh sort of like um kind of like cat uh you know like jazz club small environment feel um whereas this one's got a little more up-tempo and it's just i mean it just is like it's rad it's just like kicks ass and it's very smooth silky um it may be it may be because of the video takes place in a casino but i kind of think of it as like um i don't know it's like almost james bondy i know Mm -hmm. it's not exactly right but like um it's like really cool and hip and funky Nice. Well, let's listen to a little bit of it. So uh, here's a little bit of Hang On To Your Love by Sade. So hang on to your love. Uh, it's interesting. As you said before, it definitely has a little more of an up-tempo bass line. And it also has a really good angular guitar riff yes. anchoring it. Totally. And definitely the rhythmic nature of this. This isn't too far away from what a lot of contemporary British bands Mm-hmm. We're doing with just stuff that was a little more pop oriented. Yeah, it's a little like it's like a little new romantic, a little like yeah. new wave. Um, yeah, I, I can definitely draw parallels to stuff that New Order was doing, who mm-hmm. we covered in other in other in another podcast, and even like there's elements to it that almost sound kind of culture clubby mm-hmm. as well, kind of like that nice smooth pop feel to it. Yeah. But I think it's got like it, it swings a little bit more. Yep. Um, and it, um, I think it's it's you know a few things like one. Um, it, there's definitely a jazz element in all of Sade's music. Mm-hmm. Um, but one, what distinguishes it from the more objectionable elements of like jazz in general or like jazz pop 
is that it it does not feel ever indulgent. It's always pop first, and then like let's use jazz chords or jazz uh, arrangements, mm-hmm. um, and then or jazzy arrangements, and then um, also it's like I think Sh- like Sade's music it really encaps you know uh, sort of. Um, encapsulated in this song but it's uh, i think it's a fact generally is that it really felt like a really postmodern super mo- uh super global music because it was like it's british but it has elements of funk jazz latin um you know it kind of falls into sophisticated but it's like uh, it's soulful, but it's also um, super, super like poppy. You know, it's kind of not only genre bending, but just like a very global, both modern and global type of music. Yeah, and that definitely borrows on some really cool British pop music traditions. Right. That, you know, specifically, I'd say a lot of British bands are really good at yes you know like uh another uh group uh, another group that we covered in a previous episode dexie's midnight runners that were so so soul influenced yep you know this is very similar in that this is clearly soul music this is clearly from a jazz influence but it's it's through that slightly removed british lens yes exactly i feel like it allows a lot of brits to really figure out what makes a genre work Right. And recontextualize it. You know, it's definitely one of the reasons why the Beatles were who they were. Yeah. You know, for just sure. for example, I don't think yeah. that any of that rock and roll could have ever happened if it had been written by Americans, you know? Right, right. Exactly. Yes, yes, exactly. I think that's um, really true. And, and I think this music is so s- specifically British, um, not only because it kind of fell into a trend that was happening at the time, but I mean, you look at. Um, how it's kind of a miracle this was ever received well in the US um i can't i still don't quite understand it um how it like played well here and there really wasn't any other band of their ilk that kind of did the same thing they were really the only kind of one of their contemporaries to have success here Yes, and I have arguments as for why, but I want to hold on to those for the last song that we're going to cover. Yes. (laughs) But just before we move on from Hang On to Your Love, lyrically, because you touched on this, Mm -hmm. and I think it's so interesting, all of the songs in this album, this one as well, are really interesting concepts mm-hmm. for this type of song and something that really removes it from a more typical pop R&B song is these yeah. songs aren't really about basic relationship stuff right and this song is not if you look at the lyrics this song is really about sticking it through and like mm-hmm. the diligence that a relationship takes yes and that's Really interesting. And Sade, correct me if I'm wrong, I think she was like, what, like 21 when she started writing all this stuff? She was quite young. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And a lot, a lot of this stuff, I think, 
shows a a, a sophistication uh-huh. and a sort of foresight as to how life works that I'm really surprised from such a young songwriter. It doesn't have a young urgency that other young songwriters have. It actually has like a more mature confidence to it. Which may have um, played into why it was, you know, it's not, it's, you know, we talked about a lot of genres that she was blending. One of them was definitely not rock and roll. With that being said, though, um, and well, I'll just leave it at that. Like, it's very anti-rock, I would say. Um, But not to go off on too much of a tangent, but quickly I want to mention is like one thing that interests me about this whole genre um, or this whole kind of thing that was happening in the mid 80s in the UK with like sort of the Sophistapop um, coffee house scene is that, you know, these were all former punks, you know, Mm. her backing band, they were all like they knew how to play their instruments, but they grew up on like it's hard to, it's hard to understate how massive an influence you know the late 70s early pretty much the clash right like you mm-hmm. know they were all punks mm-hmm. and somehow and it's not it's truly it's something i still don't understand that fascinates me is how you know this became like the cool young people's music um in the mid eighties because one, these were all punks who turned to this kind of music. And then also it was like, you know, young people were listening to it and it's like, so as you mentioned, sophisticated and it's, it, it baffles me and I still don't understand how it was received at the time. Well, I would argue that what is so great about punk music is that it in itself is a real injection of um, Kyle is eating some celery. No, it's all good. (laughs) Eating a celery. The reason why I would say punk music is so great is that it's such a direct injection to what makes music so good is that it really hits you at a very visceral level Uh that's very easy to understand, but Uh it's really an incredible uh, base you know, uh, of music to get into first to Mm -hmm. dovetail off of into other genres. And I think that that's why it breads, you know, music listeners that were ready to hear this when it Mm -hmm. came out in 80, in 84, you know what I mean? Uh, because they had been raised and, and punk, punk bands had been getting more and more sophisticated as their careers had continued. Early Clash doesn't sound like Later Clash. Later Clash actually sounds more like this. Later Clash is more sophisticated. There's a a lot more going on. Even later Ramones doesn't sound like early Ramones anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to give things a little more of a listen to really understand what's going on. And I think that the genre grew up with the listeners and then blossomed into so many different interesting subgenres and this is definitely, I'm not, I'm certainly not calling uh, this a subgenre of punk, but certainly uh, it owes a lot to that scene, you know? Yes, exactly. And that mindset. And like, well, I, I was listening to this interview with Stuart Matthewman, who's, uh, he was like the sax player, play guitar in this, in Sade. Um, and he, he was saying how influenced he was um, by, I mean, he said he, you know, he grew up a punk and then he, um, saw the evolution specifically of the Clash when they started 
to incorporate elements of R&B, reggae, definitely, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, soul music and, um, you know, just the, the, the conscious blending of genres was really, I think, influential to a, this whole generation of British bands. And they did it without becoming major assholes like the police. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just to slag the police because it's my <laughs> podcast and any chance I get to slag the police, I will. Sure. <laughs> so the song that I chose, What Am I Going to Make a Living? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a really interesting song. It was the second UK single for this album. So it's one of the more well-known songs from this album. Uh, let's give it a little listen and then we'll talk to, talk about it a little bit. Let's do it. So, uh, yeah, that's a little bit of that one there. So that song, little more of us like slower tempo mm-hmm. than Hang On To Your Love. But still- well, Hang On To Your Love, I'd say, is unique in terms of uh, it, it's the most up-tempo, like funky, aggressive song on the album. So, yeah, this, yeah. Album, this song is a little more indicative, I think, of the rest of the album. Right. For sure. I would say. But it has just that, once again... Really, really good bass line, mm-hmm. which this one to me is almost like a, a somewhat Motown inspired, you know, yeah. prop, props to Paul Denman for this one. Uh, it almost kind of reminds me of the bass line for uh, Your Love is Lifting Me Higher, you know, uh, hi, or, you know, that song Higher and Higher. It, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Uh, so the origins of this one, I think, are pretty fascinating. So uh, Sade Adu wrote on the back of a dry cleaning ticket when am i gonna make a living just because she was sort of feeling pretty despondent and trying to express herself and then she you know ended up writing the song based on this on this statement uh and just the lyrics here i think are really uh, definitely uh, are the lyrics of you know what we would consider a starving artist, someone who's mm-hmm. still really struggling to make ends meet? Mm-hmm. Um, I, ha- I wrote them down here so just so that we could like just hear them out loud. Mm-hmm. Uh, this part here: Gotta look up and tell yourself there's no end to what you can do. They'll waste your body and soul if you allow them to. This is the time to start believing in yourself. Put the blame on no one else. So first of all, a few interesting things about this. Uh, really light rhyme scheme, which I think contributes to it being like uh, that's that's a fist of pop sound. She rhymes yourself with yourself. <laughs> yeah. Then at the end, there's a there's a half rhyme. She rhymes yourself with else. Yes, exactly. Which is really nice and just sort of it makes gives it makes it feel very relaxed. And then she rhymes do and two, which mm. is just really simple. Yeah, and in another song it might feel lazy, but I feel like it works so well here with the arrangement. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of interesting, and also too, uh, there's the line, um, "We're hungry, but we won't give in." It's really beautiful. Me too. That's I mean that's the best part of the song is that mm-hmm. uh, repeated refrain. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it's like it's like a mantra almost you exactly know? and this this song is i mean it's it's really sweet and fun to listen to but um it's almost like you know as like cool and removed and distant as so much of Sade's music is which makes it so cool this is like the closest they get to like something like a an anthem you know sure but it's it's such a personal anthem it's for themselves True. right it's right, not right. it's not like something like what's going on you know oh, yeah. it's not like a marvin gay style it's oh, like yeah, yeah, this yeah. is a generational this is so i think so much about her personal experience you know yeah which is so cool uh and you know and then just to speak towards some of the other subjects that are on this album just because i find i find this interesting just to relate again that these songs aren't really about just like love stuff you know right for sure there's also uh why can't we live together which is actually a song about the whole world living together uh, it's like interesting little anti-war anthem that's a little more obtuse. So you need to kind of give it a good listen to understand that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then also the song Sally, mm-hmm. I think is really interesting, which is basically about a, uh, sex worker who's healing her clients just through like being with them, like all mm-hmm. these men on the street who are all kind of, you know, you know, they've sort of been chewed up and spit out by the world. And that's mm-hmm. sort of an interesting, it's an interesting perspective to take as well. Like one could say that it's just like hooker with a heart of gold stuff, mm-hmm. but it's not really right. It's, it's sort of a little more complex than that. The way that the songs are written and, and this, the stories are a little more humane, mm-hmm. you know, which this album was described as by reviewers, humane lyrics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, yeah, Sally. Sally's an interesting song, um, and uh, may, may, might be my least favorite song on the album. It's, it, it kind of drags on a little bit. Yeah, but uh, why can't we live together? Is a cover of a Timmy Thomas. That's song. right. That's the cover on this record. Thank yeah. you. That's right. And I forgot about that. That song is famous now, and it, you almost can't even recognize the cover. I mean, it's it's good. It's but it's like. First of all, the Timmy Thomas original is amazing, and many of our listeners might recognize it as being uh, the the Timmy Thomas version being the base for the sample of Drake's Hotline Blink. Oh, cool. Yeah. So Good for Drake. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, their version it sort of ends the uh, uh, American version of the LP, but um, it... Um, I would say it's it, they do a great. I mean, it's great their version, but it's I would say it's maybe not as good as the original. That's cool. So definitely <laughs> check out the original. Yeah, for sure. Jukeheads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so before we move on to our our final song, uh, you know what? I want to ask you a question about this. What mood are you in when you put this on? Why do you put this on? Why do you listen to this one? beautiful question um i would say this is so i mean a lot of moods like um if i'm uh to be honest i would if if i had a girl or a guy over Mm -hmm. and i uh, you know it's getting sexy Mm -hmm. i'd I'd put this on even now yeah uh, truly and yeah, this um, is definitely good 
good making love music. Yeah, it would be you really tasteful. I make I, I hesitate and I make the distinction because um a lot of stuff that was once sexy can now sound corny. And Truth. I don't think this does that, truly, because it's so weirdly like genre bending and timeless that I don't think it seems corny. And it's also fun. Um also, I would play this like if I'm hungover, sure, <laughs> and I'm like easing my way into a new day. Uh, I would put this song on studying. Mm-hmm. I would put this song on like doing work, uh, writing. Um, I would put this song on or song album. I keep saying song. <laughs> um, yeah, I think all those. Uh, you know, if it's like a bunch of people just kind of like hanging out, I'd put, I'd put. Yeah, it's definitely uh, fun- functional party music for sure. Yeah, or like functional, like. But it seems to be five functional. Five people hanging out. Yeah, yeah, and it seems to be functional Kyle alone time music as well. Big so, time. So Big while, time. you know, not to yeah, harp on alone. this, but while, while we're all spending some more time with ourselves than we're used to spending, yes. this is actually a really nice album to put on. And, you know, as someone who wasn't particularly familiar with this album before this week. I have really enjoyed listening to it alone. You know, draw yourself, draw yourself, draw yourself a bubble bath and listen to, you know, listen to Diamond Life. Exactly. Yes. Especially in these times. Seriously, this is like a, I'm recommending this as a remedy. Mm -hmm. Make yourself a drink. I'm drinking a Bloody Mary right now. Yeah, I'm drinking a bottle of water. It's great. <laughs> Dr- drinks, drink. You know, have a have a have a cocktail, or mm-hmm. maybe smoke a little weed. Mm-hmm. Draw the bath. <laughs> put your head back. Put this album on. Close your eyes. Forget about the world. All right, now, smooth operator. Let's talk about it. This is the last song we're going to talk about. This was the big breakout single. This is the song that charted, I think it got to number two in the US. I it think it was five. But five, was, that's right. It was, it was massive. It was yes, massive. It was number one on the Billboard adult contemporary charts in 1985. Yeah. It was massive. Uh, you know it, you love it, but let's listen to a little bit of it. Smooth sure. Operator. Yep. He's loved in seven languages. Diamond lights and ruby lights. So that was a little bit of Smooth Operator. Wonderful. (laughs) So yeah, you know it, you love it. So you said before, I don't totally understand why this album had the success it did or why Mm -hmm. people were ready for it. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that Mm -hmm. this single, which is also the first track on the record, Mm -hmm. is the gateway to this entire style of music but sure. is so sticky in mm. the way that it's written. It is such a good earworm. The yeah. chorus 
is so memorable and easy to sing along to. Yeah. And I think that that's what makes it work so well and why this album, you know, became as successful as it as it did. And interestingly enough, this song was written by Shardedu and then not a member of the band, yeah, but a member like- of their previous band, Pride. Uh-huh. This was one of Sade's big, like, uh, solo pieces within Pride that she would sing mm-hmm. uh, by this this guy named uh, Ray St. John uh, mm-hmm. co-wrote, co-wrote this with her and it also has a little more of a Latin feel than I'd say yeah, the rest of the album the per- does. the percussion. Yeah, there are the... Yeah. Now, it's interesting. Uh, I'm going to confront you about this just for fun. Sure. Uh, this song is technically considered a ballad. <laughs> you don't like ballads. Mm-hmm. But you like this song, right? <laughs> I like this song. I like this song. It's not my favorite on mm-hmm. the album by any stretch. Um, I would say, like, um, Your Love is King or uh, I Will Be Your Friend. These are songs sort of in the vibe of Smooth Operator that I actually like more. That may be a result of having heard Smooth Operator. My pa- my mom actually loved this song. Too. Sure. So, um if anything, that made me like it less, having been subjected to it by my mom for my whole life. But, um, but I think it's not my favorite song on the album. I get it, like why it was a big hit. But um, I think, well, I think just to go to to your point. Well, one about the ballad thing. I think, and and this is like a I enjoy this conversation, but like, um, I don't think it's like. I think it's a little more up tempo than like you know, kind of uh, diva y ballad tempos. Um, it's also a lot. More, it's structured a lot more. It's more strictly structured like a pop song than the ballads that I don't like are. You know, structured to let the singer do vocal gymnastics. That's and right. That I don't care to listen to in the same way that I don't care to listen to a guitar solo more than 30 seconds. Um, totally. You know, I just don't like noodling on any instrument. <laughs> I want, I care more about the song than any particular piece of it. Um, but that being said, um, or to, to kind of go off what you said initially was that this kind of unlocked the door for um Americans specifically to get on board with this kind of music. I think it's because it was structured so strictly like a pop song. And it was, they used elements of a lot of different genres, specifically jazz and Latin jazz. Um, But it's at the end of the day, it's a pop song first. And Sade as a singer, she is not overly indulgent and is not, Mm -hmm. um, you know, she holds back. She's distant. She's um, she's distinct and draws you in, but she's not Mariah Carey. Yeah, well put. Because that is something that I think is interesting is that some people have described her vocals as cold or removed, but I don't think that's correct. I think held back. Yeah. I think, I think you could even call her vocals secretive. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I think is better than cold. I don't. I don't think she's cold. No, I, I wouldn't say. I would not call her cold. Her vocals cold. No, I. I listen to this and I want to be your friend. So yeah. You know. <laughs> now, now something else about I this will album. Be your friend. <laughs> something else about this album that I think is really interesting is I think that I think that it is um, this song is very 80s in subject matter. Mm-hmm. And I think it's mm-hmm. worth talking about a little sure. bit. Yeah. This is a song about a dude mm-hmm. who is rich mm-hmm. and it's somewhat glorified. Mm-hmm. He may be somewhat somewhat of a con artist. Right. Uh, the uh, video for this song makes him seem like he's a con artist. Yeah. Uh, the, the video was directed by Julian Temple. Mm-hmm. Also directed the Hang On To Your Love video as well. Mm-hmm. Julian Temple comes from, just because it's fun, he also comes from like the whole uh, London punk scene. Yep. He directed uh, the uh, the Sex Pistols documentary, The Filth and the Fury, mm-hmm. and also made The Great Rock and Roll Swindle, the Sex Pistols film <laughs> from the 70s. So, yeah, you know, it's it's glorifying someone who's like maybe kind of bad for you, you know? And, and I would say that this is to use modern parlance. This is a song about a fuck boy. Yes. For sure. A rich fuck boy. Yeah. And, and also too, and this sort of connects, but I don't know how glorified, I mean, I understand in terms of like, it's not super explicit in condemning his behavior, but well, it's I ambiguous think- as to whether we should, uh, how, how we should view this guy. I think we're supposed to, I think we're supposed to be drawn to him the hmm. way she sings about him, despite the fact that he's kind of bad for us. Sure. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Um, That's kind of the perspective the song's written from. Yes. 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 Yeah. Like she, um, yes. I think it's that thing of like, fuck, why do I like you? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then one more thing about this song and a lot of the songs on this record is that, you know, coast to coast, uh, L.A. to Chicago, right? That's that's one of the lines of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Well, okay. No, I'm not mad that Chicago isn't on one of the coasts. I'm not mad about it. <laughs> but that's I always not, have thought about that, too. It's, uh, <laughs> but, but I think that this is writing about the United States, uh-huh. as more of a concept than a reality. Yes, yes. And I think that that is because they are British. Yeah. And I think that that's so wonderful and cool. Yes. And I, and I think it's one of the reasons why Americans like this song is that it actually presented an, an America that is not real. You right. know, it's a, it's a glorified America, but it's glorifying America in a different way than like, the Beach Boys glorify America for or sure. the way that like Boston glorifies America. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this, is, this is on a whole other level of sort of it kind of, I think this song paints the States and the sort of people that live in the States uh, is sort of the sort of, it's sort of a dream world. And I like that a lot about it. And this is like the, you know, high flute, you know, uh, high flying eighties where there, this guy was out there in the minds of British people, you know, um, you know, just glorify, not necessarily glorifying, but like begrudgingly glorifying, like 
this newfound wealth of the like Reagan era and also um, kind of I think the charm of it is like the charm in a way of like a Scandinavian person like slightly misusing uh, English or like um, yeah, you like, know, a, like our episode about aqua. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's the same charm. It's like the slight. Um, it's it is, like it's, it's almost like an uncanny valley aspect. Exactly. To it. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, uncanny valley. It's not nice to say that because that means there's something about it that's off-putting, and it's not off-putting. It's actually really wonderful. You know. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's 100%. just like once removed. Right. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. No, I've really enjoyed getting to learn about this album this week. Also, yeah. this song, I will just say, is yes. a great um, karaoke song. Yes, yeah, sing it for karaoke. Yep. Any closing thoughts about this record before we leave it behind? I would just say, um, I know it's already happening. I'm 100% on board. The reappreciation, um, uh, the reevaluation of Sade should continue. She should be beloved. Um, specifically, I would say this song, uh, this album I picked because it's like the one with the hits on it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, your love is King. There were tons of singles that charted here. Um, but listen to her 1992 love deluxe album. Mm -hmm. That is the true masterpiece of uh, her catalog. Oh, beautiful. Their catalog. I'll say yes. Of their catalog. Oh, well, this has been another episode of kick the jukebox. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, you can find us on all forms of social media. You just look up Kick the Jukebox. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. We will chat with you. We will respond. Yeah. And uh, we're going to try to continue to do these, you know, uh, as the situation in New York, you know, solidifies into becoming what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, once again, Kyle, your Venmo, it is... <laughs> Kyle dash Gordon dash two. Yeah. And I'm at Louis four, seven, one, one. Thanks for listening, everybody. Kyle. I love you. Love you too. Yeah. And we'll see you around like a record. Boom. Kick the jukebox. It's so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the jukebox. Kick it a rhyme. Talking about music all the time.